Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Thursday, March 3rd edition of the Basement Academy. It was good to see a number of you uh, last night at the Ash Wednesday service in the chapel. Love that room. Love when we sing in that room. (laughs) There's something about those walls and that ceiling and maybe 150 years of saints having sung uh, in that room. So it's just a delight to be there. So we're now into the season of Lent. Uh, Let's begin with a morning psalm, Psalm 3. The context of this is when David was fleeing from his son Absalom. Uh, they, They had a falling out, and Absalom seeks to basically usurp the kingdom. Uh, But it ends with this language about striking the enemies on the jaw. And so it kind of hooks back to that imprecatory uh, psalm study that we were reflecting on yesterday. So this is just an example of that. Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You you bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen. A great psalm. Uh, God is the, our shield, the one who lifts us, our, our glory and strengthener. Um, he's our deliverer. <clears throat> and so, strike all my enemies on the jaw. <laughs> break the teeth of the wicked. So let's pray our frustration, pray our concern and worry about uh, the tens of thousands that may be drawn up against us. So Lord, hear our prayer. Okay, a few more questions from the Academy. I think it'll be today and I think we'll wrap up tomorrow. Uh, And so I've appreciated all who have sent off. If I haven't answered yours, then I'll get to that uh, tomorrow. Uh, A few questions that come today. They kind of all relate together, but I'm going to tease them out. Does tithing, that is giving 10% of your money, does tithing apply only to money or also to our time? So should we give a tenth, 10% of our time? And so if you've got, you know, 24 hours in a day, is it 2.4 hours or something like that that we're to dedicate in service to God? And so... Um, there's no biblical uh, warrant or instruction or guidance or command in that regard. Um, All of our money belongs to God. All of our time belongs to God. So there's something around that. Our times are in your hands, um, the psalmist says. Um, So just just a couple things here. So that's the short answer. No, it only applies to the money. But, But let me reflect a little bit on tithing. Um, though that's not the exact question. <laughs> it's more about time. But, but a tithe is a word that just means a tenth. So 10%. Um, tithing is commanded under the Old Covenant. 
And so in the book of uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, we have the, the law of Moses. In the Torah, we have a, a variety of passages that give clear guidance that Israel is to bring a tithe. Um, one of the primary reasons is to provide for the Levites. They were the priestly tribe. They had uh, care of the tabernacle in the wilderness. They had care of the temple uh, once it was built. And so uh, they received no inheritance. Uh, so when Joshua leads the people into the promised land and the land is divided up, and so each of the 12 tribes has land dedicated to them uh, by tribe, by you know clan and family, um, the Levites don't have that. They don't get the pasture land. They don't get the cities. They, there are carve-outs for them. But the Lord is their inheritance. And so the way they live is off of the tithe, uh, the, the contributions of the community. Okay, So this is kind of where we get the notion of pastors being supported by the church. Okay, There's a, there's a parallel there. Okay, um, It was not always money that was tithe. It was an agricultural economy. And so um, uh, in the book of Leviticus, there's guidance with respect to the crops, a tithe of the crops and of the flock. There's also language about dedicating the firstborn and the first fruits. And so bring the first, bring the best, uh, bring uh, adequate uh, measures. There are provisions if you're heading off to temple and it's too hard to carry, uh, you can uh, convert to money. Uh, and give that way or convert to money and then purchase uh, upon um, getting in the temple. Hence, the Jesus cleansing the temple of the money changers because there was skimming that was going on. Okay, so the context uh, of that was the sacrificial system and the tithing system uh, when Jesus cl cleanses the temple. Okay, so you've got all that. Um, so there are some pretty strong arguments you could make that under the New Covenant, in the New Testament, tithing is not commanded. Uh, we don't see it come forward with the same kind of clarity as some of the other aspects of uh, God's moral law, particularly the Ten Commandments. Um, it, you could argue that maybe in the New Testament, you give even more, right? And so in the early church, people were selling land and bringing it and laying it at the apostles' feet for the support of the community, uh, the widows, etc. Um, but uh, there is guidance given in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, giving is to be regular. It is to be voluntary. It is to be sacrificial. It is to be generous. It is to be cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver, okay? And so... I think some of what's going on with tithing, uh, it's, it's, there's a very practical aspect of it. Just in the Old Covenant, it's supporting the Levites. There's also a tithe to support um, the poor. Uh, and, so, and so funds being given or uh, crops and flocks and, and money being given uh, to support the vulnerable, uh, the widows, the orphans, etc. And so we can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 14. I think the idea is we can live on less than we think we need to live on. 
So we tend to think in terms of giving 10% of our money. I think it's a good guide. Uh, uh, we, we, we seek to practice this and have practiced this in our family, really stretching back to my college days when I first heard the instruction after uh, becoming a Christian, uh, have not always perfectly 100, you know, 10% of, uh, of everything. Uh, but, but that really is our guide. And I don't say that, I'm not trying to boast. I'm just trying to say it, it can be done. Um, but you have to arrange your finances to do it. You have to just build it in. And if you don't build it in, it's not gonna happen, okay? And so it's a spiritual discipline. You have to build the habit and you build the habit of living on 90%. But what's underneath this is this notion, God will provide. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. All what things? Your food, your clothing, your shelter, etc. Consider the lilies of the field. They are adorned <laughs> greater than Solomon in all his glory. Uh, consider the birds of the air. They are fed. <laughs> and, so, and so Jesus is probably echoing some of this. He talks about where your treasure is, your heart will be also, and you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. It's not that the devil is the chief rival to our faith. It is money that is the chief rival to our faith. And so there may be some echo and allusion to the tithing laws that are uh, going on there. Um, um, there is this sense that money, uh, the love of money, Paul advises, is the root of all evil. Uh, <clears throat> it's not money, it is the love of money. Money represents something. It, it grants us power. Uh, when you have money, you, you, you can do things in life and, and you know they're very wealthy, have power, they can hire the lawyers and get their kids off, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but money represents power. It gives power, freedom, autonomy. You know, I don't need to listen to you. I've got my own money. I can just go do what I want. I quit. I've got enough money, you know. So there's something that money can lead to a proud, stubborn, independent, uh, autonomous heart. Money also represents security. When we don't have as much money, we worry and are anxious. But in all of these, God has promised you know, it's not power, but it's weakness and service and love that God commends, not, not our power. Um, our freedom is when we follow the truth uh, of Jesus. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Um, we've already spoken about autonomy plenty of times, and so God is our provider. We, we need not try to live independently of him. And God is our fortress, our strength, our security. Okay, We need money. So, so this is not a, a plea you know, that we don't need, need money. Let's go take the vow of poverty. But it's a recognition that uh, money does um, threaten our faith. And so it's, a, it's kind of a, I don't say a necessary evil. You know, it, it's just a, it's a means of exchange in our economy. Uh, there have been other economies that, you know, barter and use other, you know, means of, of, of compensation and and support and the like. Um, I'm pretty sure in the history of Greenwich, the minister has been paid in chickens and uh, crops over the years, because we stretch back into the early 1800s, right? And so uh, if a chicken shows up on my doorstep, I'll know somebody listened to this, <laughs> to this uh, message. Um, 
So anyway, um, I you don't hear me talk and teach a whole lot about tithing. Uh, it's not that I don't believe in it. I do. It's that there's such goofy stuff that happens when ministers get in the pulpit and preach about tithing. It, there's People get resistant to it and they're stubborn to it. And so we don't have pledge campaigns except for when we do a building project because the bank needs to know that, you know, that we can pay the loan. Um, but we haven't done any kind of stewardship campaign probably since my second or third year here. We just, I just said, can we stop doing that? Just trust that God's people will provide. And we've finished in the black, you know, 21 straight years, including raising money for building and pandemics and the like. Um, so I just, I just don't teach a whole lot on it. Um, we don't even pass the plates anymore. Have you noticed that? Good grief. And yet we continue. So there's a generosity, but there's also a faithfulness within the, the church family. So I don't want to get fiddled up with pre-tax or, you know, or after-tax tithing. It, I don't want to be a Pharisee and getting down, they tithe down to the 10th of their spices, but they neglected mercy, love, justice, and, and the weightier matters of the law. So anyway, the question was, is it a tithe of our time? The answer is no, <laughs> but I use this as an occasion to talk about tithing. Um, I commend it. I commend. Um, you, you will delight in trusting God, uh, giving more, stretching more. You delight to support the church, other charities, other mission partners. Does, you know, doesn't all have to go to the church. Again, I'm not going to fiddle on that. Um, Malachi uh, chapter 3 um, uh, God says, uh, he, he, he chastens Israel because they were commanded to bring the tithe in and they were not doing that. So they were robbing God. And he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that so there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. And so again, it's an old covenant call, but test God in this. Bring, bring, try to stretch yourself. Calculate how much you are giving right now and see if you can stretch a little more. If you're giving 3% of your income, stretch yourself to three and a half or 4% this year. If you're giving 6%, stretch yourself to seven. Okay. So just see what trusting God and then see, watch him provide. It's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. A um, couple other questions. Um, how much time should be devoted to prayer and scripture and Christian books? And you know, going along that, how much time should we spend on movies and television uh, and kind of non-Christian or secular books, etc.? Et um, you know, all of our all of our time belongs to God, so we don't have to tithe it. It doesn't. We don't have to scrupulously do two point four hours a, a day. We should spend as much time as we need to to pay attention to God and to make our needs known to Him and present our requests and to hear His word. Okay, um, uh, so you know, for me, I read or pray five Psalms a day, one chapter of Proverbs, and then four chapters. So I'm just reading through. So I just finished today the Book of Judges, um, and all of that takes anywhere from you know, 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how much I linger in prayer, how much my mind wanders, because some of that happens, um, or if I take some notes. So, you know, between 20 to 30 to 40 minutes probably to do that, which I think is reasonable. 
that one can spend 30 to 40 minutes a day reading scripture, praying, making needs known. You can do this. I do it in the morning. You can do it at different parts of the day. What I would say, rather than giving a you know fixed how much time on this and how much time on that, I would say, look at the ratio. If you're spending five to 10 minutes in prayer and in the word of dedicated time, I, I will say, congratulations. I commend you for that. And then, then how much time are you spending, you know, watching TV, movies, reading, you know, other than Christian literature? And if you find that you're watching two to three to four hours of television a day and only reading the Bible, or maybe not even reading the Bible, reading, you know, like an Our Daily Bread devotional, again, it is better, five minutes is better than zero. But look at the proportion, Okay, I'm not saying it has to be a one-to-one proportion. If you spend 10 minutes in the Bible, you only get 10 minutes of TV. I think that's being overscrupulous. I don't subscribe to that. God delights when we enjoy the gifts of his creation, beauty, art, music, literature, you know, movies and TV are works of art that can be, you know, be held uh, to God's glory. The question I would have is, are you reading, watching, listening to these things to escape reality, to, you know, divert yourself from having to do some other work, uh, be it, you know, chores around the house or grief work or, you know, spiritual disciplines. And so I think it's more about the motives and reasons why we would be watching, you know, way more television than we do in our Bible reading uh, and the like. And so, Years ago, I came up with this very simple saying, is this a get to or a got to? That is to say, do I get to do this or do I got to do this? We, we get to read the Bible, right? We get to pray. <laughs> we get to spend time with God. We get to read Christian literature and hear the thoughts of others. We get to do these things. We don't gotta do them. We want to delight in the presence of God. We want to delight in in reading his word and meditating and holding it fast and communing with Jesus in our prayers. That's a delight, not a duty. I, you know, because when things become duty, they become drudgery. When they become drudgery, it's like, uh, I'm going to find myself, well, I'd really like to, but, and so we find ourselves making excuses and that's when we're making excuses for why I'm not spending more time in the Word, yet I am spending plenty of time reading the paper, the magazines, watching, you know, the, the news shows. Um, that's when I need to check under the hood. And we're in the season of Lent, and this is what Lent is about. To examine ourselves and say, gee, why is it that I'm doing this? So if you can build the habits little at a time, be it tithing, <laughs> just build the habit and stretch yourself, build, build the habit of reading the scriptures, dedicate five minutes, 10 minutes, 20, and just try to stretch that. But not like you're trying to run marathons. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with his word. Get curious about why this Bible passage says what it does. Go do some research, do some Bible studies, linger in those prayers and see if your heart doesn't, again, start to, to liberate in, in some ways. So again, it's not that we gotta do all that stuff, it's that we get to. Um, final question has to do with, you know, just myself as a pastor, how do I know how to divide up my time? 
Um, there is a 24-7 aspect to my work, like, like many people, so I don't have a harder job than anybody else. I, don't, I want to dispel that notion. My job just is unique in the things. So I'm constantly preparing um, a message. Um, I, I mean, so I constantly do this stuff, right? <laughs> but, you know, the Sunday morning message, uh, there are leadership tasks that uh, are invisible to the bulk of the congregation, but working with the elders, uh, the deacon, more with the elders than the deacons. We have other staff who, who work with the deacons primarily. But, uh, you know, supporting the work of the elders, the committees, um, giving some leadership, you know, we're doing these leadership conversations, so I'm very involved in, in that work. Um, there was pastoral care. You know, a lot of times folks want me to visit. Um, I, I get that. It's trickier now uh, as our church has grown. It's trickier for me to find that time. So we have staff, other staff who engage in, in that work as well. Um, you know, and then there's weddings and funerals and things like that, that, that creep up. And then there's, um, you know, folks make appointments, just want to talk through their life. And, and so it is the balancing of all of those that gets tricky. Um, I routinely have um, probably two evening, uh, activities a week at, at the minimum, be it premarital counseling, committee work, uh, Ash Wednesday, you know, special service like last night. Um, and that's routine. There are some weeks that it's, you know, three or four. You might have a church dinner on top of other things. And so that's been the challenge because um, I'm recording this. That's like, you know, I started this at 740 this morning, you know, doing a little bit of the work. So I'm, I'm, I'm at it pretty early and, you know, go as long as I need to. Um, that the challenge with all time-based discussions, actions, and realities is the, the principle and call to Sabbath. God doesn't want us working seven days a week. God does not want us working 24-7. He commanded. He didn't, he didn't suggest. He commanded the Sabbath where you cease from your labors. Um, and so for me, I can't cease from my labors on Sunday, so I have to find another day. And that's what gets tricky also, because it occurs during the week, but everybody else is at work, right? Everybody else is. So the challenge for pastoral work and, and church staff work is, you know, the office is open Monday to Friday. Saturdays are often prep or other events or weddings and things like that. And Sunday's church day. And so the pastors routinely, and I fall in this category, routinely are Sabbath breakers. So we routinely break at least one of the Ten Commandments. And when we do so, we get rewarded and applauded by our congregations for being so industrious. <laughs> and so this is a challenge. Um, and so um, uh, it, it's tricky. You know, our family probably has borne some burden for me working every weekend for 30 years, right? My kids have only known a dad who works every weekend. Of course, I get some weekends off. I take vacation. But the rule of our lives is that I work every weekend. So Saturdays are a school night for me. I'm rarely out late on Saturdays because I want to be alert for worship. <clears throat> and so, you know, uh, uh, we don't get, I don't get three-day weekends. 
everybody gets a three day weekend or a four day weekend. You know, if you got the Monday holiday, you take Friday off, you got a four day weekend, you go with your family to the hills, to the beach, skiing. We don't. And I don't, I don't complain about that. I knew that when I was signing up, I just, you know, I've lived into the reality. And, and so, you know, there are realities that, that, that attend that no different than doctors and, and nurses and medical professionals and other, um, vocations that, that require, um, people to attend seven days a week, you know, so, but doctors, you know, have others to be on call for them in a medical practice. And we kind of do that, but, but not quite as well because our world is different. The church is a little different. And so, um, you know, it, it's kind of about, it's like the boundary with friendships. It, it's a little bit of that, you know, the boundaries with time are, are tricky, so I routinely, you know, kind of work the 50 to 55 hours, um, six to seven days a week. And, you know, and those spike uh, some days, but, you know, as time will allow, I'll take the afternoon off and go play golf and not, you know, worry about it, that I'm being derelict in my duties. Um, uh, so anyway, I think ho hopefully this is, a, is an uh, adequate answer to the, to the question, no complaints at all, um, but, you know, in the spirit of friendship, uh, now you all know a little bit more about my life, and I'm not afraid to have you know that about my life, and I would invite your prayers uh, for me, for my family. Uh, I don't think our family has suffered, but we have been impacted by the reality of uh, being a pastor's family. And so um, let's close here, uh, and then we'll pick up tomorrow and try to wrap up uh, several other questions that are, uh, have been submitted. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your gifts and graces, uh, the crops and the flocks and the money <laughs> that we render unto you uh, for the support of your kingdom, uh, for the support of your people, missionaries, pastors, and others. And pray that you would uh, continue to expand our hearts, that you would uh, make our treasuries full, that we may uh, give more uh, and we may delight more uh, in, in being a part of the work of expanding your kingdom. And Lord, thank you for the time that we have. Our times, all of our times are in your hands. And so Lord, we ask that you would um, keep us attentive to that and draw us to these scriptures, draw us to these prayers. Uh, may we delight in your presence. And so increase our hunger and thirst for you that we get to do this. And so Father, uh, bless us as we um, uh, offer our prayers to you, even now in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God of grace, the riches of grace, as we read in scripture, may that God pour out the riches of his grace and his glory upon you through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit this day and forevermore. Amen.